Many times if you talk to some folks about their company, it's like a long explanation about what they do. What you have to be able to do is be able to tell a story in a concise, substantive manner about your organization and where you're going. Welcome to the Resilient Recruiter Podcast. This is your host, Mark Whitby, and I'm delighted to be joined today by Bert Miller. Bert is the co-founder and chairman of Protus Global, which is an award-winning search and recruitment firm in Florida with a 20-strong team specializing in food and beverage, CPG, cannabis, and hospitality industries. He's also the CEO of Ace Talent Curators, and he's the president and CEO of MRI Network. MRI is a recruitment organization that offers consulting, training, contract staffing, and community building to over 325 search firms worldwide. Bert is also an active speaker, mentor, advisor, and investor, and he is a fellow podcast host. His podcast is the MRI Network Podcast. And he also has a video podcast series called Beyond the Bottom Line, which features interviews with CEOs and leaders across categories on issues impacting the world of work. Bert, welcome. Thank you so much for doing this. Mark, glad to be with you. Thank you. Fantastic. Um, I think you have the best audio of any guest I've ever had, maybe apart from Joe Mullings. It's probably on a a par with his. Um, So I thank you for that. Well, I, you know, in, in full disclosure, I'm sitting in Joe's studio, so. Ah, okay. Uh, <laughs> that explains that. Yeah. Fantastic. No, it's it's so nice when people have, you know, the right equipment. It, it just really elevates the uh, the quality of the of the um, the listener's enjoyment. So, uh, listen, we know a lot of people in common. This is our, our first time meeting. I'm I'm ex- excited to learn from you. Um, you've been running Protus since 1995. Um, could you just briefly talk about your recruitment journey leading up to taking the role uh, of president at MRI? Yeah, my background, Mark, uh, coming out of school in, in 1985, I went to work for the Gala Winery. I uh, was put into a distributor in Indianapolis, Indiana. Uh, worked there for about four and a half years. A headhunter called me, ironically enough, and introduced me to uh, Revlon North America. So then I went over and worked at the cosmetic giant Revlon North America for about six and a half, seven years. My children got to a certain age where I wanted to coach and uh, raise them because I was spending all my time in New York and I lived in Indianapolis, Indiana at that time. So um, uh, I, I, I was looking at different businesses and did a lot of research. And and the obviously the human capital recruitment space was one that in a foreseeable future is going to have a supply and demand opportunity, which we're feeling today very much so. And so uh, I took the uh, took a shot and, and launched Protus Global from scratch, uh, along with Laura Gonzalez at the time. And uh, we kicked it off. We started in consumer products where, where my background lies. And then we had a very successful uh, first, uh, you know, 20, 25, 24, 25 years uh, in that space and gave me the opportunity in the middle of uh, around June 2019 to acquire MRI Network. Wow, that's amazing. So um, why did you m- make that decision then, Bert? To acquire MRI Network? I, yeah. Look, MRI Network, is a, it's a terrific brand. What It's, a, it's an iconic um, company relative to the space that we're in, the talent access space that we're in, Mark. Uh, over the years. And, you know, it's a 55-year-old plus company. 
uh, launched and co-founded by Alan R. Schoenberg, a, a legend in, in, in our industry. And what, what had happened, it really provided an opportunity for, uh, for us to go through uh, and work with a company that had gone through some serious um, growth and then really lost its identity as the market started to shift in the early 2000s and into the 2010s. And during that time of losing this identity, uh, it lost a little bit of leadership vision and North Star, and and so really lost its luster for a period of time. And but what a great, great, awesome brand! And it gave gave us the opportunity to acquire the company, uh, reinvigorate the company, and put together a plan to transform the organization, which we've been able to do. And it's it's been a really fun ride. Wow, that's awesome. So was Protus already a franchisee of MRI and then you decided to acquire the the whole network or Yes, yeah, we've been a we've been a franchisee since uh, 1995. Got it. Okay, yeah. no that's all making sense. Yeah, MRI really has shaped the recruitment industry over the you know the the last few decades and if you think of the number of offices, the number of people who've been born and grown up in that network and um you know even a lot of my fellow trainers uh if you trace back their origin story then it it leads back to mri so it's definitely a a brand that people are very familiar with certainly in the united states but uh probably in in a lot of countries as well um so what is uh what's the the kind of future vision then where are you where are you taking this yeah, it's it's interesting, Mark, uh, and, you, and you alluded to the history of MRI. I mean, if you think about the people you've met in your background, tens of thousands are people like the folks that you know that have been trained by MRI uh, offices, or MRI and MRI offices. Um, the, our franchisees have made over the history of the 55 years over 820,000 placements and and generated well over 17 billion dollars in revenue. So um, that's part of the iconic brand that helped build our industry. And, and where we're going from now, I mean, today, when we're going forward, is we really want, we want to introduce into, into the industry that how to basically move from a, a one-to-one conversation to a one-to-many and, and bringing a new uh, a way of learning around digital and going to the one-to-many and bringing uh, a different mindset to our industry. Because Look, anybody out there can go uh, and, and acquire a training course. They can grab uh, a marketing piece, but what they don't have is experts and subject matter subject matter experts that can put it all together in one spot. Where all you have to do is tap into it. In other words, a platform you can plug into if you're, a, you're a, an executive uh, search firm, you can just plug into what we offer. And that's really what we're doing is we're taking people down the road to future-proof their businesses and a cyclical, you know, really a cyclical industry. Let's dive into that then, because that's a topic that is very um, important to me as well, is the idea of blending, you know, the classic old school um, sales and recruitment um, qualities and and, uh, techniques and strategies and taking the best of that, but then really blending that with a much more modern digital approach to uh, engaging with the market, both clients and candidates, as well as employees and and scaling from there. So what 
how would you describe um, or how would you recommend that search firm owners can future-proof their business? Yeah, well, there's a couple things. One, you know, don't not don't go too far any one way. And, and I think we were a little bit misunderstood at, at that beginning, Mark, when we introduced digital into our network and that we're telling people not to be on the phone and just sit back and wait. There's going to be inbound calls coming. Um, there's there's a multitude of opportunities. And, you know, of course, we're not saying that. Uh, if you go back to what you talked about earlier, I mean, the phone batted number one in the lineup. And the phone is still the most important weapon that we have is engaging with humans and having those discussions with those individuals to put them in the best position to win in their careers. Uh, it just now bats different in a different spot in the lineup. It might bat third or fourth. And we have these other tools and, and methodologies that get us to many more people quicker than they have in the past by you know making 100 calls every single day and hoping to connect with someone. I think the other opportunity as well, uh, Mark, is by creating a digital presence and providing information, education, uh, aspiration, inspiration. If 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 you, if you know if you want to do that as well, and not really focusing on yourself, really makes you a voice in your industry, a subject matter expert in the sector that you work in. And when you start to become known, become a become a, an expert in your space. You become somebody as a thought leader in your space, and that it gives you a better chance to win and lean for people to lean in, and you can win business. Absolutely, I, I think we're in total alignment on this on this topic, uh, Bert. So, what are some of the methodologies that MRI you know, members of the MRI network are embracing in order to become a voice, a, a thought leader in their you know, in their specific niche sector or ecosystem? Yeah, it's really, when we first started two and a half, almost three years ago, no, Mark, we had, it's really interesting. We had a few that really understood where we were going and, and just jumped on right away. And many of those people are, are, are seeing the success. Others, as we've continued to better on our end, you know, communicate better uh, and define what we really mean by you know, from a digital approach, and and really not losing fact, uh, losing sight of the fact of the fundamentals of the business that you alluded to earlier. We have more and more people coming on board to do that, and there's some techniques that that we've introduced back to the network. Uh, you know, whether it be you know pulling out headlines or ten four two strategy. Uh, around using 1042 specifically using LinkedIn. There are tools that we're using and how to engage people on LinkedIn and really helping folks understand rather than just posting jobs and people do that, but rather than just posting jobs and becoming part of the white noise that you see on LinkedIn, again, how to articulate, communicate, engage in the marketplace. So you're leaving that that white noise and going to a different room that has a more of a one-to-one -one effect, if you will. And again, it sets you apart from your competition. And, and these are the things that we're teaching uh, many of our owners and, and their teams. 100%, absolutely. Um, could you explain 1042? Uh, I'm not familiar with that uh, expression. Yeah, that's that's one that Joe, Joe uh, kind of coined the 1042 and what really worked for him. And we've, we've plugged that into our network. And Essentially, you you know you start you, you you sit down on a weekend or every weekend you take make that time. Who are your targets? 
Um, you start to identify targets, meaning you take a company and you go two or three, four people deep around their executives and you start to put them in, in list and you start to follow them on LinkedIn. Uh, as they engage the platform, you then see uh, how they're engaging the platform. And at that point in time, uh, you may pick 10, you may like 10 things throughout the course of, of your, your journey on the, on the space uh, of your targets. And so 10 times you like, uh, about every four times you will write copy and make a comment, intelligent comment, not just, hey, that's a great post. I mean, that doesn't do a whole lot, but really write something with depth around the comment, maybe have an opinion or uh, take a position on something, tag the person that you're targeting. And then two times you will then share the uh, the, the, the post that, that that person has made. And you write, again, you write intelligent copy, you share that with your network. And lo and behold, what happens is these executives start to see your, your, the, your thought leadership, how you're engaged in the marketplace. They, in turn, start to engage with you and you become known to those executives. You're just really warming up the funnel, if you will. And then as you, re as you continue to do your reach out, uh, they start to understand who you are. And once you become a thought leader and you have that reach in your space, you're just seen differently than the person that's just, you know, constantly leaving voicemails. Absolutely. I like this concept of, of 1042. Um, what's the cadence of this? Is this a week? Like, is this per week or is this per uh what you know? That was the time frame for the ten likes, the four comments, the two shares. It's every single week, and you and you have yeah. your targets. So you you really have to you know you you carve out that time mark and your key mm -hmm. targets that are making the comments. You then are liking ten of them. You're then making comments on four of them, and then you are sharing two of now. There's no, there's no set number. It can be, it can be eight, five, three. It could be what right. it's 10, four, two, which is, it's, it's really the, it's really what worked uh, for us. And, um, and that's been most effective in the way we go to the marketplace. The, the, the resulting impact for some of your listeners are network wide revenue from a retained perspective. So the you're, you're now moving up the food chain where you're talking and you're getting better opportunities, not better opportunities, but higher uh, opportunities within a, within the food chain of a, of a company, uh, we've increased over the last two and a half years, our networks retained business by 22%. Wow. That's fantastic. Yeah, it's, um, it's, it's definitely a business model that we encourage our coaching clients to embrace because, you know, uh, to move away from the chaos of, and, and frustration of contingency recruitment to more com mutually committed searches where you're partnering with the client and they actually listen to you and respect you and follow your advice and you can do your best work, um, you know, because you're confident of getting paid at the end of it. Would you like to make the transition from pure contingency to being a retained recruiter? Do you want to be respected as a true business partner by your clients while increasing your average fee? If so, then clearly you need to do something different. You can't just keep doing what you're doing and expect a different result. Our sponsor, iIntro, gives you a turnkey solution for winning retained searches and managed service agreements at higher fees. 
you will take business away from your competitors because you can actually show the client a unique methodology in a very tangible way and demonstrate conclusively how you will improve their staff retention and reduce their total cost per hire while also saving hours of management time. If you'd like to see how iIntro can help you to grow your recruitment business and increase your average fees, just go to recruitmentcoach.com forward slash retained. Book a free consultation. There's no obligation. And if you mention that you listen to this podcast, iIntro have pledged to offer you a 25% discount on any of their services. Just go to recruitmentcoach.com forward slash retained to get started. But circling back to the LinkedIn strategy then, <clears throat> Um, with the, the two shares, I'm just curious because, um, I can see the benefit from the point of view of getting the attention of the target that you've identified because LinkedIn will notify them that you've shared their, you know, their post. Um, on the other hand, in real terms, it doesn't actually help them particularly or you in the sense that we, we study the LinkedIn algorithm and what, um, you know, how, how, how it works as best as anyone can, you know, nobody really knows, um, how, how it works, but based on observation of thousands of posts, uh, across our clients and what gets organic reach and, and what doesn't, we've found that sharing has like zero impact. The algorithm just does not reward it at all. Whereas liking and commenting in particular, it seems to be the commenting that is the best, um, thing for creating, uh, momentum with a post, but is that is that the intention? Is it that it, when you share something, the person would then feel uh, appreciative and they it would get their attention? Yeah, you're absolutely right, Mark. Uh, the LinkedIn does not reward sharing a great deal. Um, certainly, original content that has that has relevancy and it connects with your audience. Certainly, organically, uh, the algorithm re rewards that uh, quite well. And then, of course engaging with the the post of your target making comments tagging a few folks or whatever the case may be certainly that helps as well we share just to to, to give uh what pay pay homage to that person's made that post and right. and the few people that do see it, it they start to see what is being shared and all of a sudden you're, again your name is popping up in different places and through different uh, different actions and methodologies of sharing and posting and commenting, um, but no question, the algorithm does not reward sharing like original content or comments. Okay, I understand that makes sense. And these ten targets are they target clients or target candidates or a, a mixture? It's a combination uh, thereof. So, if there's X Y Z company that I want to I want to I want to penetrate in a, in a space, I will have let's say they have three to five targets. I will put those on my list. I start to monitor as they're posting from whoever's active in that organization, one or two, and then I use this, I use this approach. Uh, you'll also Got see the other, the other thing you can do is, is, is really what we call you know, the headline approach, and that is where uh, you, you'll have somebody post an article, so one of your targets post articles or the company post an article, and you, you take... You go through the article, you pick something out of that article that is interesting, and you put your own spin relative to an opinion, or um, you kind of write against whatever that headline is. Uh, you kind of create your own headline with that article, and then you share it, but not share it back, but you go ahead and post it back. 
pay homage to them as well by by uh, um, targeting them as well and, and including the individual and the company. And what that does too as well is in their audience, both the company as well as the people following those organizations start to see uh, how, how you are actually commenting and make, th- making thoughtful um, points relative to whatever that might be, whatever that topic might be. You know, it's um, extremely effective and, and as you say, warming up your, you know, your funnel and getting on people's radar prior to, you know, reaching out to them. Or, or, and often you'll generate the, an inbound uh, conversation through this activity as well before you've even taken that next step of, uh, of contacting them. But the objection, I'm sure that uh, you hear this and I, and I hear it is this sounds like a lot of work, you know, how, how much time is this going to take? And so, you know, what, what do you advise people in terms of, um, how often and how long to spend on this type of, uh, strategy? Yeah, that's a great point, Mark. And we hear that all the time. Uh, there's, there's a few factors that come into play. First, I'll just start by saying it's an, and not, or, you know, it, it's yeah. not, do I do this? versus the phone uh, or do I do the phone versus this? If you're really committed yeah. and you're, this, this industry is your career, it's an and. Uh, that's yeah. first of all. The second thing that comes into um, mind is that people many times don't know how to get started. They don't realize the cadence and the work that it does take throughout the course of each week. Uh, certainly at the beginning, they show you at least three posts a week up to five, but you know, you, you see the, the best of the best doing, you know, six or seven posts a week and, and, and with various types of cadence toward how they're posting. But at the, 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 and Mark is that again, if this is your career, you, you got to continue to think that you're doing business development or you're doing recruiting by writing and, 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 and sharing thought leadership in your particular space. And as yeah. you become an expert, um, then that's when those folks certainly start to lean in. And, and so the core of your day is doing what you normally do um, and understand part of what you normally do will change because if you are, in, in an essence, doing this early in the morning or you're writing late in the afternoon, keeping that content to post in the morning, Usually that's the best time is to post in the morning and throughout the day, depending uh, on your space. And then you're going to find that you're starting to engage people that know you, but you may not even know them. Either they're leaning in, they're engaging you, or you call and they, they've heard of you. That, But it takes consistency over a six or eight month period of time. What we what we see is people trying it for two or three months. They're not getting the, 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 the leg, uh, the 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 momentum and traction that they want, Mark, and they kind of give up. And they give up just a yeah. little bit too soon. But consistency is the key. It will, it will in fact pay dividends. Absolutely right. It's a, uh, the analogy I use is going to the gym. You can't work out for a couple of weeks and then expect miracles. Like when you look in the mirror, it's, you're going to look pretty much the same, right? But then give it three months of commitment and consistency and six months and 12 months and you know, you, that's where you really 
uh, or end up in a totally different, um, totally different place. So, uh, love it. What would be another example of a one-to-many sort of strategy that that you guys are are getting results with? Well, I mean, if for those that are down down range a little bit, Mark, um, you know, and I'll just use my myself. You know, with Beyond the Bottom Line, I've created a podcast. I've been fortunate to have some really terrific guests. Uh, and that that's certainly then at that point really starts to broaden your reach. Uh, you're able to have some interesting conversations. You know, I've had, you know, Chris Voss. I've had the uh, head of North America for Bacardi, the CEO of Hostess Company. And again, I work in the consumer product space, so all that makes sense. Chris Voss, you know, around negotiation. So he brings a certain a certain element and, and visibility that is really, really important. And that's so cool. for those that create a podcast, I mean, that's another way that you're touching at the beginning tens, then hundreds, and then hopefully thousands of people. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's sometimes people feel overwhelmed at the idea of launching a podcast, but um you know, the benefit, I love doing that. I would do it even if there wasn't a commercial benefit of doing it. Cause I love learning and I love meeting, you know, ex- exceptional people like you. And, um, but having said that, it's also been the best thing I've ever done for my business. And, um, we've, we actually put together a course on how to launch a podcast for your recruitment business. Um, cause we had quite a few people asking us for, for help on it. It's cool that you met, you met Chris Voss. We, um, I have, I've run a little book club, uh, for our clients and never split the difference was one of the titles that we, uh, we actually studied. So that's, uh, that's amazing. Um, and I'd just be curious, like, how did you set that up? Did you just reach out to him and like, what was, what's, what was your approach? What was it? <laughs> It, it was really a stroke of luck to some extent. Uh, he, we ended up uh, working with uh, uh, a few different people to come speak at our United Conference in 2019, um, and Chris was one of our speakers. And so I had the opportunity ah. to spend some time with Chris. We we connected, became friendly. We started talking on the phone a little bit, and we exchanged text and from time to time, and and just kind of kept the relationship going and. And when I launched Beyond the Bottom Line, he, he certainly was one that at, at the appropriate time, you know, once we got a little bit of traction, I just yes. text uh, Chris and, and, and asked him to be on the show. And, you know, his team worked with us and we were able to get him on here. It was, it was fantastic. Brilliant. Love that. So, um, Bert, one of the topics I've heard you talk about is the great realignment. Could you speak a little on that topic? Yeah, the great uh, the great realignment. Um, you know, everybody started talking about the, the the great resonation, and and part of that is I think we started to what happened over the last two and a half years only accelerated what was already underway uh, in happening. We just got there ten years. What I what I would say we got there ten years earlier because what's happened in the last couple of years, and the power of the individuals coming into play. And so it, you, you started to see in the media pick up on this, this term, the great resonation. And there yeah. are people leaving the workforce. Many of the boomers are making decisions to say, hey, you know, I, I have my purpose of life is totally different and I'm getting out. But a, a far majority of people, it's not about the great resonation. It's really what I call the great realignment. Some have said the reshuffle or whatever you want to call it. Uh, and so the dynamics that are coming into play around hybrid model working, flexible working, 
Uh, I'm not really into remote per se, and people talk use that term remote, uh, but I do like flexible and I do like hybrid. Um, and I think companies d- did not react or respond enough over the last several years to the individual. And now the power is in, in is with the individuals I mentioned earlier. And so those organizations are now stepping back. The ones that really uh, want to be proactive are stepping back and taking a look at their organizations, things that they need to do, what they have to do about not only attraction, but retention. The best thing you can do around hiring and building your organization is rehire your people all the time. So mm. keep the ones you have and then continuing to attract the talent that you can track by being able to storytell your North Star and help them understand how you're fitting in into today's work, world of work and looking forward. And so I don't think it was the great resonation per se. I just think it's a realignment. People are leaving you know, one team and going to another, and, and you're going to see certain people win and, and others not be as fortunate. I love your um, expression to rehire always be rehiring your existing uh team members that's that's a clever expression i um i worked my first one of my first bosses in recruitment um i remember him telling me um mark never stop selling to your your staff um you know once they're on board you know throughout their onboarding throughout their first year and then you know continuously after that, you always have to keep selling the opportunity. And he went on and sold his company for for millions of pounds um, shortly thereafter. But uh, I I never forgot that. What do you mean by storytell your North Star? Well, yeah, there's a couple of things. And and going back to your point that you you made on the rehiring, look, I don't want to confuse people and say, be soft or give people everything to want. You know, there's empathy with accountability, if you will. Uh, it's showing people that you have an open mind and you have, and, and you, from a leader, you're showing agility in your leadership. Um, where you have operational excellence, innovation, are you constantly looking to get better? And then be able to tell your story. And, and many, many times, if you talk to some folks and you're, you're having a conversation about their company, it's like a long explanation about what they do. And you, what you have to be able to do is not talk in generalities about your organization, but be, re- be, uh, be able to tell a, a story in a concise, substantive manner about your organization and, and where you're going. And so, you know, when I talk about Protoss, I, I really spend time talking about the platform, about how people can plug in, you know. Um, and, and for your listeners, it's not, again, it's not to be soft in in terms of rehiring your people. It's about continuing to let them know you care, continuing to offer a platform that makes their life better. In other words, they can accomplish their scorecard by being part of your team and they feel a purpose and a sense of sense of pride about what they do in their career. And again, the accountabilities, they know we, we all need. We all need to be pushed in some form or pulled at some point in time and respected. And by just having an accountability and practice, knowing every individual is different and giving them that kind of, uh, that, that kind of, that kind of place to come to work every day, you tend to then rehire your people through that, through that method. So it's not going out and, you know, just doing a bunch of high fives and, 
you know, tell them how great they are. You know, they don't, they can get that in a lot. If they're really talented, they can get that in a lot of places, Mark. It's a really, it challenge to a leader is being able to then continuing to uh, educate, help them learn and get better every single day. And part of that is accountability and you providing the tools for them to get better. Interesting. Love it. So, um, tell, tell me more about the storytelling aspect though, because that's, not something I've heard a great deal uh, in terms of a leadership uh, principle. Yeah, I mean, if you, I, when we hire people at Protus, we we take them through the history uh, of Protus, and so we're 27 years in. Why would you take people through the history of Protus if they're just starting on year 27? I think it's real important to be able to walk them through the story, the origin, the foundation the core values of an organization, the inflection points over those two and a half decades, both the good and others and other learning opportunities that have occurred. And what, what you do by doing that and you walk them through and be able to tell your story of the organization is that as they go, they take their journey with Protus Global, certain data points will hit them. And those data points will take them back to the story they heard in their training and they now start to become part of that DNA. They they start to connect, and the, the connective tissue starts to come together with the organization. And when people feel like they're part of something versus working at a company, then you're going to get the best out of them. And obviously, if they feel they're part of something, they're, they're help, they feel like they have a thumbprint or they're having a point of influence on the success and outcome of the organization. Interesting. No, that's, I love that. Um, I read an interesting book called Story Brand uh, by Donald Miller. I don't know if you've read that. It's more aimed at branding from the point of view of um, attracting customers, but you could equally apply the same sort of thought process to attracting uh, and, and retaining employees as well. Is, is there a particular framework that you have kind of internalized for storytelling in a business context? Uh, toward toward my team, Mark? Yeah, uh, exactly. Yeah. I just wondered how this has um, come up and become part of, uh, of what you do. Like, what was your reference point for that? Yeah, I think that's, that's a good question. I would look, when you, if you look at brands, many times brands are really good at talking to the consumer. Uh, their consumer branding is generally very, very strong. And if you think about how and you know, some of the buying signals that go through uh, and how we make decisions, we buy on emotion. We justify with logic, right? So we, we buy with emotion. And so th that's the consumer connection uh, that, that companies over the years when they were doing their, their consumer branding. What companies many times failed to do and then later became aware of, they called it employ employer branding. And that's a term that I really, uh, I, I'm not a fan of employer branding. We like hiring brand because hiring brand is we, you're, you're becoming to be part of something. It's not about the employer. Part of hiring is mutual. And so it, by, by helping people you know, understand the why uh, you're doing certain things, Mark, and you're walking the journey. The, by helping you, by building your uh, hiring brand and then showing them how to build their own personal brand, then what you're able to do is you're able to connect the two. 
And people feel like, again, once, once they feel like they're part of the connective tissue or you're, they're part of the DNA, even though you're helping them build their own uh, individual brand, their personal brand, but it aligns in very much from a value system, it aligns with the hiring brand. And so we have these conversations on a, on a regular basis in our organization. And some, it's, it's not always accepted. I mean, we have people that still struggle to get themselves out there a little bit, and we, we have to continue to work on it. Um, we have a couple of people having success, which now is going to allow others then to have that same success. And, and all during that time, we're really talking about the hiring brand of Protus because Protus Global is kind of a part of that. And it really allows for people to connect with it. So that's how we do it internally. But the important thing is give people the why versus just telling them what to do. Have you ever dreamed of launching, scaling, and one day selling your recruitment business? If so, I highly recommend you speak to Recruitment Entrepreneur. Founded by former Dragon's Den star James Kahn, Recruitment Entrepreneur is the world's leading private equity firm specifically focused on the recruitment industry. They invest in startups and scale-ups and have already backed over 30 founders. There's no reason why you couldn't be their next joint venture partner. James's first company, Alexander Mann, sold in 2013 for $260 million. His second venture, Humana International, he grew with Doug Bugey to over 140 offices in 30 countries before selling to MRI. James and his team are actively looking for ambitious recruiters from across the United States and around the world who want to partner with them to launch and scale successful recruitment businesses. They provide the funding, expertise, mentoring, and back office support to make your dream a reality. To learn more about Recruitment Entrepreneur in the USA or anywhere globally, go to recruitmentcoach.com forward slash VC as in venture capital. Book a discovery call with them and be sure to tell them that you were sent by Mark Whitby in the Resilient Recruiter podcast. Once again, visit recruitmentcoach.com forward slash VC. It's an interesting distinction between employer brand versus hiring brand. I've not I considered that before, but it has a better, um, yeah, I think that's better. And it's interesting what you're saying about personal brand, because a lot of recruitment business owners are seem to be afraid to let their, their team members build their own personal brand because they, they want to control everything. And they're maybe worried about people going off and, you know, setting up in competition or whatever. And I think that's, um, counterproductive that the the business will be stronger if each of your uh, recruiters and leaders are those thought leaders and subject matter experts that we talked about earlier and have a network that is robust and they've got those relationships and they've got their their um, a, a voice as you said in their segment of the market then that can only come back to benefit the firm but what what is your philosophy on this yeah i, I have a smiling because you know i i have talked to firm owners that are reluctant to uh help educate pay for education or invest in technology to help their folks do their own personal branding in their organization look um, my thought is this one as i've told a couple of the owners uh of these firms i said look they're not calling you because of your company name anyhow. They're calling, they're, they're calling back or they're doing repeat business because of the individual. This has been going on for years and years. Uh, it was just done by phone and people, they, they, they had a connection with that particular recruiter. And 
that recruiter, they, they were calling because of that recruiter. They weren't, many times, companies don't even know the name of the company they're working with, if we want to be really honest about it. Um, certainly in the past, and they're, they're becoming more educated today because of the branding aspect, but they were calling because of the individual that they were working with. And that individual was doing the, the quality of work, delivering talent, quality town in a, a good period of time and filling a position and solving a problem for that organization. That's always been done. That's always been done. So I, from my perspective, I'm like, why not? Why not help the, they're already doing that. Prop your individuals up, give them a personal brand, help build them landing pages in your organization, help them learn how to use it, uh, help them provide technology to know, you know, who, you know, where's, where's, when I'm sending out but I'm doing my landing page, who's looking at it, where are they doing? If I send something out, who's opening it? And they forward it to somebody else. If you're if you're putting some technology in place to help your team do that, then in fact you're you're really you're giving them something that they may not be able to build on their own, number one. But more importantly, you want to make sure that you're again, you're doing the rehiring of your team anyhow. I think people that make decisions based on control and fear end up what what they don't want to happen happens anyway. Right. Yeah, exactly. That's a good point. Um, could you say more about what you mean by landing pages in this context? Yeah. I mean, helping build, helping, uh, we'll take, let's take um, what we're going to be doing in 2022 for our team. We're going to be building them their own personal landing pages. So the idea of a personal landing page is it gives them an opportunity to, to go out and push it out through a piece of technology and an organic market and or in some in some uh, push through uh, through paid and so uh, that individual that's willing to do it and 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 put in the work they will have their own personal landing page around roles newsletters things that they want to communicate into their space their thought leadership and that'll be pushed out and they they now are propped up in their particular sector and space and we're going to be that's what we're doing we're helping our team build those out in 2022 that's cool. I like yeah. that. Is that, would it basically sit, I'm just understanding the practical uh, components of this. So would that be within the Protus website? It's like a, it's like a page within the Protus website, but it's all about them and, and their niche. Is that the idea? Yeah, it looks just like part of the website, the branding, the look, everything. But yes, it'll be within their niche, correct. Got it. Okay. You know, that's powerful. That's really cool. Um, and uh, so circling back, we we touched on the great realignment, um, but in, to what extent can we, you know, what are the risks here for recruiters and how can we harness, you know, the, the changes that are happening in the market so that, you know, we are at the forefront rather than left behind? Yeah, interesting. I mean, I, look, uh, Mark. I think when we just do what we uh, set out to do every single day and and be consistent in what we're doing um, in our approach, and that that in, that entails proper planning, learning, learn what's going on in your sector, go deeper in your dig. What we mean, what we call dig, is your territory, discipline, industry, geography. Be able to, you know, we have. We have a dig, but in many rate, in many respects, we're not going deep enough in that funnel down the dig to understand. So you have ancillary, um, connective uh, opportunities within your space that have depth. So if, if if I'm food and beverage, right, 
Well, if I'm placing salespeople, marketing, supply chain, and food and beverage, that's fantastic. We go a little bit deeper and understand what that might look like. You also have ingredients. You have packaging around you know companies that that make the glass or the labeling um, uh, as well. You then what is the technology around supply chain through automation, robotics, and you continue to go down that funnel. It all it all adds. It all comes back to the food and beverage. And so I think what what salespeople can do is continue to work on their learning and understanding their space. Mm-hmm. Also look at their individual dig and understand what's going on there as well. And if I want to grow that and I want to expand a little bit, what, what plugs in pretty easily within, within my particular um, interest. And so when I think food and beverage, again, you know, again, you have the packaging, you have your ingredients, you have various things that our people should be looking at and learning more about. Also technology. If you think about what's happening around the application of technology, uh, whether it be in the supply chain, you know, transportation, delivery, you now have Kroger here in the U.S. that has just done a deal where they'll be doing delivery uh, through drone. So what it, what that opens up a whole nother set of opportunities within that food and, and beverage sector, as an example. Interesting. Okay, fantastic. And then... Um, I like the, the, the acronym of, of, of dig. That's a, that's a, that's a great one. And of going deeper, you know, follows that analogy, which is, uh, which is cool. And, um, what do you think, you know, the, the recruiters who are maybe failing to capitalize on fully on the, on the opportunity of the current market, what do you think they're missing or what do you, what are the, the mistakes that you see people making? Yeah, the I think it depends on the individual. I mean, you have people that are are in. And so I'll break it down by tenure versus. So, in other words, you have a a long time vet, you have a midterm vet, and then you have rookie to early career. Uh, rookie to early career is they don't know what they don't know yet, uh, and they're learning as they go. Uh, if they stay the course and they continue to, once again, be a lear- just be a learner, you just have an avid appetite for learning the industry. The biggest mistake I see there for the early career people is they start losing confidence in the blind faith that they have to have in this industry. And so they stop doing the little things. Ultimately, they, they see that it's not working uh, or they feel that it's not working, even, even though it is, and they quit just a little bit too early. And, and those are some mm-hmm. of the mistakes is really getting off the, the path, not the line. There's no line in this industry, but there is a path we need to go down and we need to stay within the guardrails. And so we get outside those guardrails, we start, we start lacking success, and then ultimately uh, we, feel, I mean, we feel like we failed and we leave the industry uh, or we have to level set. We want to stay in the industry. Uh, midterm, uh, that's when folks have had some success. You know, they're 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 billing, they're making money, they're making a living in this industry. They really don't know at the moment how to go to the next level. They kind of get they get a little bit bored at times. They don't know the direction, and they 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 again, they're not taking initiative and accountability to work on their craft as much as they want. That's the biggest mistake I see. They come in, they do what they're supposed to do during the course of the day, you know, five o'clock, whatever it hits, and they they get out. But they're not doing any off the they're not doing any off the uh, field work, if you will. 
uh, they're not in that weight room each each and every single day that they should be to continue to develop their skills. And you know, things I like to say is you become a champion not during the season; you become a champion during the off season. So when you're when you're in the office doing what you're supposed to do, that's you know that's you're you're in the game. That's not when you become a champion. You become a champion working on your game. So when you come to the office, and then for the longer term vets, the biggest mistake I see is this is the way I've always done it. This has always worked for me. I've made some money. This you know this these new programs, this this digital thing. I I, I don't you know I don't want to post. I don't like social media. Whatever the case may be, it doesn't mean they still can't have some level of success. But they become self limiting to themselves because they're not open minded and agile to what's going on in the marketplace. So taking those three personas, those are some of the things I see as mistakes. Fantastic. Yeah, that's a good way of breaking it down into those sort of uh, stages in your recruiting career, so to speak, and uh, and the potential pitfalls. I like that. Looking back over your, you've been, I guess, 27 years or so in this industry, um, built up Protus into a, a really successful firm. Um, what do you think have been the key success factors for you as an owner in growing a firm? Yeah, that is a great question for, especially for those that are out there that are just starting their firm uh, or for those recruiters out there are thinking about starting a firm. Look, um, for me personally, I was, I was not a general manager. You know, I was not a president or a CEO. Uh, I grew up in the consumer product space in sales uh, as a leader, but in terms of running a company day in and day out, op- operationally, and in, in being what I would say proactive and peeking around the corner and and t- being an- anticipating, and also leading people in in an entrepreneurial business is much different than leading people in an, in a corporate business to, to, in many ways. You have to you had to continue to learn. So for me, uh, that was something I had to really look in the mirror. So. Uh, you know, I say this all the time, Mark, we are a work in progress. And, you know, what people see on social media is one thing, uh, but we all know that, you know, there's there's a dark side in, in many ways to what we, we have and we have our own demons that we have to overcome and opportunities we have to overcome. And that's not a bad thing. That's really an opportunistic thing. And so when people really uh, will look in the mirror and understand what their capabilities are, where they have gaps, and they'll work on that. They then they will then become a better leader. So for me, that in my journey, that's what I've I've had to do. And I I find myself at sixty years old, continuing to learn every day. I know that I'm not there, and um, and my team knows that too. And 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 so having that humility and vulnerability um, doesn't make you weaker in your organization. It actually makes you quite stronger. A hundred percent. Absolutely. Um, so looking back over your growth as a, as a leader, what would you say were, or can you give me an example of a, um, a limitation or a deficiency that you identified within yourself that you've had to work in order to, um, in order to either, um, complement in some other way or to improve? Yeah. Flexibility. Um, really flexibility was a big one. You know, I can, I have a real live, I real life into, uh, example and that I had an individual that worked for me, you know, 18 years, 16, 17, 18 years ago. They just, uh, she was fantastic. She, she came out of the gate and was, um, just, just kicked ass in her, in her, 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 uh, her space. 
took the training and just went after it. And and then we went into a recession in uh, you know, 01, you know, 01 hit and we know what happened there. Not to mention we were already in a recession and we had the 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 tragedy as well, and that just compounded everything. And and so we had to really start to pull back a little bit at that time, Mark, and manage cash. And part of that was taking her off a salary at that point in time and moving everybody to just commission. And um, my lack of flexibility and not recognizing what was important to her. She had just bought her new BMW. She got a new home. She was doing her thing and she was killing it. Um, but I felt like I'd be, you know, everybody else was going to commission. Why not her? And so ultimately she left the organization not long after that. And that's the biggest lesson is, you know, we, and we all know this anyhow, it's just how we, knowing and acting are two different things. Each individual has their own thing that they need in order to be, in order to be sustained in the, organiz, in, in the organization, in their career. Uh, and when that happened, that was kind of, that was startling to me. I've had a couple of those here and there throughout my career. And rather than taking it really personal and being upset at them, uh, I had to really look at that and say, you know, I, I really messed up. I mean, that, that person might still be with me today. She was, you know, she was outstanding. Fantastic. I love your taking responsibility and ownership and for the results that show up and, and whether those are good or not ideal, then really looking at ourselves and thinking, okay, what part did I play in that? And what can I learn from that in order to be better, uh, you know, from now on. So that's fantastic. Bert, um, is there anything that I've not asked you that you wanted to discuss today? Oh man, great question. Um, it's funny, Mark, I do the same thing with people on my podcast and they, they go, uh, I'm not real sure. I mean, so no, I look uh, at, um, at MRI, what I would say about this, if you're a, an established firm out there in the marketplace and you want a sense of community, you want subject matter experts, you want access to some of the best vendors all in one spot and a platform you can plug into, or you're a recruiter out there and you're thinking about maybe launching your own firm, you know, this is such a great place and a great, a great history and legacy at MRI Network. Uh, it's not mine. I'm just a steward of Karen Schoenberg's uh, legacy forward and, and, and for MRI. It's a, it's a great, great community with great people. Amazing. So if people want to follow up with you and continue the conversation, Bert, what's the best way for them to do that? Yeah, just go to my email, Bert, B-E-B-E-R-T, uh, dot Miller at MRINetwork.com. You can always DM me on Instagram, uh, Bert Miller MRI, uh, or certainly link, LinkedIn is always a great place that we connect on and, and message me via uh, Bert Miller on LinkedIn. So I'll, I'll respond. I absolutely will respond. Fantastic. Well, I'm glad we uh, had this opportunity, Bert, and thank you so much for sharing your wisdom and insights. Appreciate it. Mark, it's been a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for listening to The Resilient Recruiter. If you've enjoyed the show, the best way you can show your support is to click that subscribe button. Thanks again, Many and I'll see you next you time. Many times you talk to some folks and you're, you're having a